Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's always good news when we get together and spend some time together. But I have a couple of good news stories here to share with you to kick off the broadcast today that I think are going to be uh, encouraging. I think they're going to be uh, of great benefit. (laughs) And in all honesty, um, you're also going to get a chance to win something too. So how does that sound? Now, the winning part involves the Kathy family. And if you know who the Kathy family are, that's the family that started Chick-fil-A. Now, I don't want to get your hopes up in terms of saying, well, we're going to win Chick-fil-A today. Not Chick-fil-A per se, but a resource from the Kathy family. How about that? How's that for a good news Friday incentive, okay? Hey, let's get into the stories, though, because I don't know how it is for your day. Maybe we should do a call-in someday on how many people still get a daily newspaper. Does that describe your home? Remember the newspaper? Remember getting the ink all over your hands? Remember being old enough to deliver the newspaper at home? Boy, those are some fond memories. I had a couple of different stints with um, newspapers. Um, Of course, I'm thinking of my parents today on their 67th wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary, mom and dad. I think it's phenomenal that you guys have uh, hung in there as long as you have, 89 years young. But I remember one of the first stories I knew about the paper boy, as it were. Um, I had a neighbor who had older brothers who were paper boys, and he eventually became one. Um, Dennis Wilson, longtime partner here uh, here at the Bottom Line Show. If you can believe this, and yes, you can. Uh, Dennis grew up in Garden Grove, and uh, he had a paper route. And he was telling me one day about all the great, like, Rams games and Dodger games you got to see. And um, you know, this was before the Angels actually made their way to Anaheim. And when I asked him, I said, where'd you get all these tickets? He goes, oh, every week they had a little competition, you know, where they deliver the newspaper and whoever got the most subscriptions or this, that, and the other thing. Dennis has been a salesman ever since I, <laughs> ever since he's been talking. But he was that paper boy who used to win all those contests. So good for him. You know, loves baseball and loves the news. Uh, my dad uh, spent some of his growing up years in Corona. And uh, right around 6th Street, right there by, I guess, where the Big Plunge used to be. I'm not sure what's there now, but it's right in the heart of the city. And he has a story of uh, growing up, having a paper route, um, having a Cushman motor scooter. And I think this all happened in Corona. He and a buddy, the buddy had a small motorcycle. And they uh, used to deliver papers in the middle of the night, which I'm sure the neighbors loved hearing that going through the neighborhood. And then they would head off to a local bakery afterwards and pick up some donuts or whatever before they'd get home and get ready for school. And my dad, being a teenager, loved his buddy's motorcycle and his buddy who, you know, wanted whatever he didn't have, like my dad's Cushman scooter. So they swapped one day. Dad came whipping around the corner where they were kind of playing ditch tag with each other after they delivered their papers. And they knew where the streets were where you couldn't park in the middle of the night. And there was a guy who parked in the street in the middle of the night. And dad went right through the back of the car. Right leg landed right in the steering wheel, and uh, he spent the third quarter of ninth grade in traction uh, because he broke his leg, his fibia and his tibia. My sister tells me it's called a tib-fib and, uh, or a fib-tib. Anyway, uh, that's his newspaper story. And my newspaper story uh, is I had friends who delivered the newspaper, and sometimes I'd fill in for them right around Tustin Meadows uh, where my buddies Tim and Tom Waranga used to deliver the Orange County Register. Might have still been the Santa Ana Register back then. And then when I was in college, I threw the LA Times for a while. Anyway, newspapers have been a part of our family for years until the Internet showed up. 
And then once the internet showed up, all of a sudden, I have digital newspaper. I've got finger smears all over my phone, all over my computer, all over the iPad. Whatever apparatus I'm using to get that information, I'm paying attention to it. And I know you are too. We have voracious readers here at the Bottom Line Show. Um, whenever we post an article, and there's always at least one article that I posted, and well, Tamara does the actual physical posting, I find the articles. But people ask, I remember one time we had a, a young producer here who was wanting to fill in for me. And um, we were discussing, you know, what it takes to prep the show and get everything ready. And he looked at me, he goes, what, how hard is it? You find an article and you talk about it for 20 minutes. I mean, it's not that hard, right? One day he did get a chance to fill in for me and I'll never forget the text message I got from him. It just said, you were right, I'll never try this again. <laughs> it takes a lot of reading. But because of the digital realm, you look at an article like the one I'm staring at here, and I see, uh, well, let's see, one, this article doesn't have a lot um, because the report's so big. There are three or four different uh, places where the black ink, where the letters are written, is colored blue. Those are hyperlinks, as you may already know. And when you click on those, you find more information in the article. So one article that we'll post at thebottomlineshow.com has a lot of different uh, tentacles, as you will, if you will. Then we see how the digital world is already impacting the news and the way it's delivered and media, of course, and different platforms. But then there's the whole concept of faith. We saw this during the pandemic. Millennials did not suffer as much as we older folk who like to actually go to church because they would just watch it online. They'd listen to a podcast. They would uh, download a Bible study somewhere. As a matter of fact, I love preaching in situations where there are younger adults because I'll say now take out your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 10 and half the crowd reaches for the Bible they brought and the other half pulls out their phone and they do it all digitally I'll never forget the first time I was officiating a funeral service memorial and we had a music stand set up a little lectern area with a microphone for people to give their presentations and the granddaughter of one of the uh, of the deceased came up to give a, uh, a eulogy for her grandpa. And she wasn't carrying a paper, didn't have a notebook or anything like that. She reached into her hip pocket and pulled out her phone. And I went, that's kind of weird, what's she going to do? And sure enough, there it was. This was many years ago. Uh, there was her presentation on her phone. The younger generation does take uh, kindly to digital influences. Um, I was reading the actual bound copy of a book that I had the privilege of co-writing with Steve Arterburn that was published, gosh, uh, 15 years ago this year. And it was a book called Internet Protect Your Kids, uh, Keep Your Kids Safe from the Dark Side of Technology. And it's funny to read a bound book because that's kind of where the Christian industry was. And there were no books per se. When I was looking for source material, everything I found was online, it was on Wikipedia, and I had to fight my editors to use those as source material because back then the internet article would pop up today and then it get pulled down tomorrow. Now the internet's forever for crying out loud. But think about that, 15 years ago, millennials were in high school and in college. 15 years ago, Generation Z were in diapers, pretty much, or you know, getting older. But now when you see how Facebook and Amazon Prime and I mean, t take your pick, all the different apps, all the different uh, things that your phone can do. I, I joke about my Galaxy uh, S9 Plus. That's what, gosh, five years old. 
I think I got it maybe two weeks after Lisa and I started dating. And I still hang on to it. It's a dinosaur. It's a workhorse. I like it. I'm old and crotchety. Get off my lawn. You know, I'm not going to change my phone anytime soon. But digital technology to me is it, it's kind of a hybrid for me. If I'm prepping a sermon, for example, I've got a copy of Strong's Concordance and my internet for whether it's phone or computer and a whole series of uh, Bible study commentaries. Bound Bible study commentaries. I'm still that way, but the younger generation is actually uh, uh, way more digital. And so we may wonder if that's the reason why there's less of a biblical worldview, why there's less interaction with God. And then you read a really interesting report that was conducted by the folks at Pew Research. Pew does a, uh, a whole series of different uh, uh, studies. And they take a look at, you know, how many people are actually Christians and how many people are not. And you begin to see that even though that number is low, it's actually holding steady. So what happened during the pandemic? People weren't getting together Hebrews 10.25 and meeting as they did a generation ago because they didn't want to get sick. But is it actually hurting the millennial religious experience. On the other side of this break, I want to take a look at, dig into a new report called The Digital Religion Among U.S. and Canadian Millennial Adults. It was published by the Review of Religious Research, and it takes a look at digital religion practices among 18 to 35-year-olds, which is millennial and Generation Z, in the U.S. and Canada, so basically North America, no Mexico, though, um, and it takes a look at, at a data that was compiled a, about a year before the start of the pandemic in something called the Millennial Trends Survey. Remember, these are the adults in this society who are truly digital natives. They've always had this technology. So how is it impacting their faith experience? Is this the reason why so many millennials are moving away from organized religion? Or is it possible that we might see a great awakening that will start online? We'll take a look at that report coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I can still remember washing that newsprint. I was talking about earlier off of my hand. Hey, if I was doing a route, I had a, a route, a LA Times delivery route, uh, second year of college. I had 400 throws every morning, early in the morning. It was brutal. And uh, you had to get them all right. And if there was one complaint, then you didn't get your bonus. But if you if you got through without any complaints, you got a bonus of one dollar. <laughs> oh, man, I only lasted a couple of months. I wasn't very good at it. But we talk about how we've moved from print uh, and bound copies of things, whether it's news or Bible studies, or things like that, to this new digital revolution. And the new study, this is a, compiled by a sociology professor called Sarah Wilkins Laflame, who is a uh, sociology professor at the University of Waterloo, uh, taking a look at uh, uh, digital religion among U.S. and Canadian millennial adults. It was published in the Review of Religious Research, and we've got a link for this report up at thebottomlineshow.com. Now, before the break, I was chuckling myself during the break, because I thought, well, here I was asking, is it because of the digital experience that more young people are actually moving away from religion or are they getting closer? And I went, well, wait, it's Good News Friday. So if it, were, if it was driving them away, why would I share it with you on at least on a day like today? Um, 
religious millennials, even those who would profess to be Christians, have the lowest participation rate in organized in-person religious activities in all of North America, bar none. Now, this report is targeting what is described as millennial adults, but they looked at 18 to 35-year-olds, and typically, when you look at millennials, the oldest millennials are typically, this year they're 40. If you can believe it, the idea with the with reason they're called the millennial generation is anyone born in 1982 up through uh, the year 2000 were going to be considered millennials. Well, if you use that as your guideline, and, and again, they'll establish these parameters demographically and then they'll change them. For example, you know, the baby boom, was ostensibly it was from 1946 to 1964 because that's where the numbers were the biggest. But if you reshuffle the deck and look at the advantages that baby boomers had versus the uh, uh, you know, Generation X that came along after, basically the baby boom ended around 1958, 59. Generation X kicked in around 1960 and went until around 1980 or 81. And then the millennial generation started around there. But then Generation Z showed up around 1995. So technically, um, if you wanted to say 18 to 34 and called them millennials, you would be better served, I believe, by saying 25 to 40. But nonetheless, uh, it's 18 to 35-year-olds, and that's they are identified as millennials in this report. Religious millennials have the lowest, or one of the lowest participation rates in all of North America for organized religion. However, when you engage with digital religion, it's actually helping make their faith experience richer. And it's so amazing to find out this new report indicates that while many young people aren't going to church and therefore demographers would look and say, well, see, there's a decline in membership. So therefore they aren't churched or they aren't saved or they don't hold a truly biblical worldview. The digital religion among U.S. and Canadian millennial adults survey actually says the opposite. They say that there are many young people in this demographic who don't go to church, but they have found faith in the digital spaces. These millennials, for, and again, for purposes of the study, they said the cohort was between 1984 and 2001. So technically it's the, uh, the hardcore millennial part and also the first part of Generation Z. This is the first generation of truly digital natives in North America. And basically the definition of the digital religion, if you will, is what they call an umbrella concept. Quoting here, it's a new frame for articulating the evolution of religious practices online and it points to how digital media and spaces are shaping and being shaped by religious practice. According to Dr. Laflame, who's the author of the study, 29% of Canadian millennials in the study report consuming religious or spiritual digital content at least once a month. In the United States, that number shoots up to 41%. According to Dr. Wilkins Laflame in a comment to the Christian Post, we know that more and more people are turning toward digital mediums for spirituality, uh, group chats with pastors, online sermons, religious content, etc., etc. We found that while digital religion is not necessarily attracting a lot of new millennials to participate, it is making the experience of those already involved much richer. 
The study indicates, quote, as rates of more conventional religious practices, such as in-person religious service attendance, have fallen in more recent years among younger generations, the expansion of the Internet in our lives has meant that a larger portion of millennials are coming into somewhat regular contact with religion and spirituality online. There are only 5% of young adult respondents who do monthly or more frequent religious or uh, spiritual digital content consumption without also attending a religious service at least once a month. About 11% of millennials in the study reported that they consumed digital content and attended religious services monthly or more frequently. Only 7% reported taking part in conventional religious services at least once a month without digital or unchurched spiritual activity. So the name of the game is pastor, lay leader, Bible study teacher, women's ministry, men's ministry, choir director, the whole shot. It's not an either or, but it's a both and. And if you are looking to the young people in your church, the young adults, the millennials and Generation Z, and wondering, okay, are they getting enough just by coming to campus? Just by coming to brick and mortar on Sunday morning? Just by coming to, hey, let's have a Sunday night young adults ministry at the church. If you're doing things at the church, it's not necessarily drawing young adults. As a matter of fact, in this survey, only 7% of millennials said that they attend a church without using some kind of uh, media consumption mechanism like going online. Hey, I'll give you an example of how this is so very, very true. Look at what we do here at the Bottom Line Show. When I started co-hosting, as it were, the Bottom Line Show on the 19th of September, 2011, uh, my co-host and I, Dave Householder, and I were on K-Bright AM 740, full stop, terrestrial radio. And then a few months later, we added KCBC uh, to 770 in the Bay Area uh, and Central Valley to help cover the 2012 election. Again, we started streaming online at kbrightradio.com. And we discovered that in the first month, our streaming went up something like 2,000%. Now, the reason it was, was because no one was streaming with us. We had like 20 people following us on social media and the number of streams were maybe 20 to 25 for an entire month. When you consider that there were programs that were on five days a week, you know, four weeks out of the month, 20 to 25 releases, and we only had about 20 people streaming. Now, that's changed so much to the fact we actually started a whole new website, My Hope Now, which is nothing but video content for all of our uh, programmers here in Crawford Broadcasting. And also, we have an app for it. I mean, we've really expanded. And also, we're adding, you know, our ministry programming day by day. But that doesn't mean people are no longer listening to shows like The Bottom Line on the radio. They're just consuming more media. So uh, the good news to report is that millennials are, in fact, getting more out of their experience online by utilizing multimedia. And that's a good news story indeed. Hey, let's take a quick break. And as we continue, another Good News Friday story, this about a company that has chosen basically ministry over millions. We'll tell you their great story coming up next as the bottom line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. 
I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but it has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we have a great story here to wrap up this half hour. Uh, involving a business that has been choosing to honor God's kingdom with their business rather than try to uh, pack on profits. And in doing one, they actually wound up accomplishing both. Uh, Here's the story. Uh, Barnhart Crane and Rigging in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, is the top rigging and crane company in the country. They started in Bluff City, right there in Memphis. And... Um, over the years, they have seen work. I mean, literally, this is company, Alan Barnhart, the CEO of the company, says, my mom and dad started this business with a pickup truck and a ladder and a welding machine. Our international corporate headquarters, quote unquote, was two bedrooms of the home that I grew up in. But they, you know, they've gone from installing steel to putting together technical stuff. The company has gone from 10 employees to 1,000 and they have raised their revenues from under $2 million to over $400 million. But the reason for their success is not because of their great business acumen necessarily. It's because literally they gave the company away. Eric Barnhart said, yeah, it was 2008, 2009. We gave the company away. They literally turned their backs on a huge payday Oh, they still work there. They're still part of the company. But Alan Barnhart said, you know, God's not impressed with commas and zeros. He wants faithfulness. So they literally gave their $400 million company to ministry. Alan Barnhart says, we take 50% of our profit every year and we send it to organizations that are helping other people. Um, wow. Wow. Eric Barnhart said, you know, we always felt like this business belonged to God anyway, so we just made it a little more official about 12 years ago. They call it profit with a purpose. Toward that end, the company is literally moving mountains in the biblical sense. Every month, they donate nearly $2 million of their profit to help charitable causes. Now, they have employees, and the employees basically, um, you know, they get paid. <laughs> they know that they're, uh, that they're working, and they're working hard. Alan Barnhart and his brother Eric have limited their salary. They're the CEOs of the company. They make about $100,000 a year. This in an era when co- corporate executives make 10, 20, 35 million dollars a year. But it's amazing. One of the employees was asked, "What do you think about working here?" and they said, "Well, you know, we're working so hard, not that so the owners can have more things, but we're trying to make a profit so that we can donate and help other ministries. I mean, when you think about what they're doing here, the company will continue to choose ministry over profits.
and well, ministry over millions, if you will. You know, I have to wonder. I, I can think of a couple of business people. I'll brag on this guy for a minute because I love to do this. Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services. Dennis chose to be a sponsor of the Bottom Line Show back in February of 2013. He had been listening to the program. He liked what was happening. He and I kind of struck up a friendship. And he told me, he said, I'm going to sponsor your show for a year. Now, at that point, the Bottom Line Show had one sponsor. And it wasn't working out for him. We had two hosts and we had to make a decision financially. Can we afford to keep the program going with two or just with one? And the decision was made. We paired it back to a one-man show. I mean, I've shared this story before. And Dennis just showed up and said, I like the show. I like Roger. I'm going to sign a contract and sponsor this program for a year. And I don't know if I'll get any business out of it or not, but God told me to sponsor this program for a year. And so he sponsored it. We ran a few ads and we did our thing and Dennis was on with me and we built up a rapport. And I'll never forget the, the night he was, uh, uh, we were asked to, uh, I was asked to come speak at a uh, presentation uh, that he was doing for some clients of his. And yeah, it was a dinner. And so I came and I spoke. And at that point, I didn't know if he was going to sign the contract and renew for a second year. And he told me after the banquet, he goes, you know, we finally started to get some clients and so we're going to sign up for another year. And Dennis has been with us now for 10. And I've watched God multiply his business. I've, I've seen it. Have, I mean, and if you have a business and you're thinking about maybe sponsoring the Bottom Line Show, I share this with you. I mean, out of my friendship for Dennis, the business has been thriving. Uh, he now sponsors our program on KCBC in the Bay Area. I mean, it's amazing what happens. But Dennis has this mentality. First of all, it's God's money, not his. So when he's investing or helping you make the right investments to provide the safety and security that you need in these challenging times, he says, this is God's money, it's not mine. So I have to be a good steward of what God has entrusted me with. And to my knowledge, in 10 years, not one bottom line show client has ever lost a dime making that investment through Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services. 800 696 and I share that with you as a friend, uh, if for no other reason. You know, when you bring Christian business principles to the marketplace, you do what God tells you to do. It's amazing how God causes your business to thrive. On the other side of this break, uh, Trudy Kathy White is going to join me. She is the daughter of Truett Kathy and his wife, Jeanette Kathy. Uh, Trudy wrote a really wonderful book about her mom. And uh, we had a conversation about it not too long ago. I want to share that with you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's good news indeed because we have something for you that you want. Now, I wish I could say that based on who my next guest is here on the Bottom Line Show, that everybody's going to get a free Chick-fil-A sandwich today. That's not what I'm... Please don't misunderstand me. That is not the giveaway. However... I do have the daughter of the founder of Chick-fil-A joining me here on the conversation, and she's written a great book about her mother's life and legacy. So let's get right to it. Now, we're going to be giving that away, by the way, uh, at the end of the conversation today, 800-227-5278. The book is called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy, and it's written by my guest today here on The Bottom Line Show, Trudy Kathy White. Let's get to the conversation right now. Well, a special guest joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show, a, a 
a woman whose uh, family is associated with good food and great faith. And we are so grateful to have uh, Trudy Kathy White with me today here on The Bottom Line, the only daughter of Truett and Jeanette Kathy. And uh, she's written a book about her mom's life and legacy. She's launched a brand new podcast. And I'm just grateful, Trudy, that you have even a half hour to spend some time with us today with the busy schedule that you keep. Trudy Kathy White, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, thank you so much. What an honor to be here with you today. I appreciate it. What was it like growing up with Truett Kathy as your dad? I mean, we'll get that <laughs> one out of the way right away because, I mean, the, the guy's a genius and obviously has this tremendous legacy, but, but you knew him as dad first before the Chick-fil-A guy. What was that like for you? That's exactly right. My dad was actually in the restaurant business for a little over 18 years before he ever invented Chick-fil-A. And growing up in his little restaurant was very common for my brothers and I to show up and my mother would take us to my dad's restaurant and we would sing for the customers, if you can imagine. Yeah. We were uh-huh. quite little. So it has been a family business right from the beginning. And in fact, when mother and dad got married, my mother became a waitress uh, in his restaurant. And then when children came along, mother spent most of her time at home caring for us. She was a full-time stay-at-home mom. We were raised south of Atlanta uh, in a little farm in the country. And so we didn't have a lot of neighbors to play with. Mother and dad and I were quite close to one another. We rode Shetland ponies. We climbed uh, trees. We got into all kinds of trouble, just like typical children do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, my mom and dad were incredible uh, parents. They weren't perfect parents. There are no such thing as perfect parents. But uh, they certainly were very focused on helping us to understand how much God loves us. They raised us in an environment uh, where we were taught God's word. We were taken to church. Uh, I would say that my my upbringing was a very happy, uh, fun uh, life. And specifically, since you asked about my dad, after Chick-fil-A came on board, my dad smelled like chicken all the time, and, <laughs> and he worked long, long hours, so I bet. I bet. Um, they were incredible people, taught us a tremendous work ethic. You know, I'm talking with uh, Trudy Kathy White today here on The Bottom Line. She's written a book about her mom, and I, I'm so t- intrigued with this because the book, A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And, and Trudy, I, I'm intrigued by this because y- you can't be a Christian, it seems like, and not have heard of not only Chick-fil-A, but the legacy of Truett Kathy. And the fact that there obviously was another component, a key component in the Kathy story and getting the Chick-fil-A launched, and that was your mom. Uh, talk about uh, the, what, what impressed you about her. I would imagine that you mentioned that they weren't perfect parents necessarily, but something had to go right with her with all those boys at home and then with a daughter and keeping uh, you know, an entrepreneurial-based husband uh, you know, in line as well, too. That, that really took a lot of effort and, as you mentioned, a quiet strength of hers. Yeah, it did. You know, all of us would say that mother had the most critical role in the the family business called Chick-fil-A because the role that she had was to support my dad in trying to grow this business. And she was um, she was a real spiritual compass for my dad. She was a, an encourager and cheerleader for us as children and certainly a prayer warrior for her grandchildren and great-grandchildren. My mom, uh, people know very little about my mom because she didn't mind being uh, backstage, behind the scenes. Her role really was to offer support uh, to my dad. And so after she passed away, I felt like, People really need to know this woman. She was such a strong, powerful lady and had such an influence on our family and on our business. And so I wrote the book. I'm not sure she would have been very happy about it, but now people can know an awful lot about her life. And I ran across a scripture in the book of Isaiah that says, "...in quietness and in trust shall be your strength." 
And I just yeah. felt like that so depicted my mom. She knew how to quiet her busy days from time to time to spend spend time with the Lord. And she diligently trusted in the Lord for everything. And because of that, she became an incredible quiet strength for our family. I think that's amazing. And it's so wonderful to hear because obviously the legacy that she left for you and your brothers and also for the grandchildren and, and basically for all, all of the world who benefits from the ministry of Chick-fil-A is really, really incredible. Uh, Trudy Kathy White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. She's written a book about her mother called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. How did these two kids get together, Trudy Kathy? I mean, oftentimes we just kind of pick it up from the they're married, they have kids. And Chick-fil-A becomes a big phenomenon. But obviously there had to be, I would, I would imagine, as wonderful a woman as your mother sounds like, the way you describe her in the book, she probably had a, no shortage of gentlemen callers, as they might have said in her generation. Talk about what it was like for mom and dad as they were getting together. Did dad have to fight off some of these guys to get his way through to her? Well, interestingly enough, they they grew up pretty much right down the street from each other and met mm. for the first time when they were eight years old. My dad likes to say they never they didn't get married then, but uh, they sure stayed kind of stayed connected. My dad, uh, both my mom and dad came from a very poor family. My dad's mother was really the breadwinner in the family. He came from a very large family. My mother was raised by a single mom. Uh, her earthly father walked out on her when she was a baby in arms, so mm. she never ever met her earthly father but if she were here today she would say don't feel sorry for me because when I was five years old someone introduced me to Jesus Christ and that the fairy God who created me could become my heavenly father and she said for the rest of my life I had a perfect uh, perfect heavenly father um, and and so their upbringing was was quite different and yet my mother was a she was a lifelong learner she finished high school and had such a desire to go off to college. A group of ladies in her local church afforded her the opportunity financially to be able to finish her college degree and even take courses uh, at a seminary. And that was really important to my mom. My dad sure. barely finished high school. Dad didn't like to study. Dad uh, <laughs> was an entrepreneur from the time he was a young boy. And so they were on different tracks. But through the influence of siblings, my mom and my dad's siblings, they were introduced to each other later in life uh, after they were in college, and it was love at first sight, really. They would say they, um, my dad asked my mom to marry her, him, and uh, she turned him down at first, and then she finally agreed to marry him over Cokes at the Dwarf House, which is my dad's original restaurant. Oh, my. So, uh, so it's been quite a journey. They were married for almost 66 years and mm. lived to be 93 and 92. God richly blessed their marriage together. It sounds like it. And if, we're, if you're just joining us, Trudy Kathy White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about the book that she's written about her mother. It's called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy. For all the books that have been written about her dad, Truett Kathy, and The Legacy of Chick-fil-A, to get a chance to see up close and personal the legacy of this amazing woman behind the scenes. And, and really a, a, a trailblazer. It sounds both of your parents had that, that kind of entrepreneurial, maybe it hasn't been done before, but we're going to do it uh, spirit, which I think is, is remarkable, especially as a testament to their faith. Was there a time, Trudy? Well, let me back this up because 
I, I was going to say when there was a time when you and your mom had some kind of conflict that was unresolvable. That's inevitable between mothers and daughters. So let <laughs> me rephrase that. Talk yeah. about how you and your mom did. I mean, where, I'm sure there were some touch points that were good, but other places, too, where you might have butted heads a little bit. How did you guys work through those? <laughs> Well, they, they did happen quite often, but one specific, I'll tell you, when I was probably about 10 years old, I was taking piano lessons at um, Mr. Edwards' home, and I was, I was walking out for my piano lesson. I picked up a penny off of his coffee table, jumped in the car with Mother, and Mother looked at that penny that was in my hand, and she said, where did you get that? And I, for the first time, it dawned on me, maybe I had done something I shouldn't have done. And mm. I told her, well, I picked it up off, to, off of Mr. Edwards' coffee table. And she said, well, you'll need to take that penny back to him and ask him to forgive you for taking what didn't belong to you. And I pitched a fit in the car. I did not. That was the last thing I wanted to do. And I told right. her, it's, it's just a penny. He'll never miss it. Uh, but Mother insisted that I take the penny back. And, of course, I did, tears streaming down my cheeks. I returned the penny to Mr. Edwards. I asked him to forgive me that I had done wrong. I jumped back in the car, and my mother, for the rest of the way home, helped me to understand uh, the importance of honesty, being respectful of other people's things, and um, and just being responsible. And so my mother, even though we would butt heads from time to time, she always would take advantage of just everyday opportunities to teach us lessons and help us to understand the importance of how we lived our life and making good choices. He who is faithful with little will be entrusted with much, and uh, your mom understood that. I mean, not only from the vantage point of coming from a single-parent household and and, uh, obviously knowing the value of a dollar or, in this case, a penny— but I love that story. I mean, it's just, it's, and, and the fact that you, she gave you the space to get angry with her a little bit too. I think that, that speaks volumes about that quiet strength that you're writing about in this brand new book. Uh, Trudy, uh, Kathy White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Joined for this segment today here on The Bottom Line by Trudy Kathy White, the only daughter. We hear a lot about the uh, the Kathy family sons, and uh, Truett and Jeanette Kathy had uh, sons, but they have a daughter. And uh, Jeanette was, so that means you were daddy's little girl, right, Trudy Kathy White? <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. Did that ever get you into trouble with your mom, where you'd sit there and say, Mom would try to enforce a rule, and you'd say, well, I'll just go work my charms on Dad. He won't say no to me. Honestly, they pretty much stayed on the same page, so that never worked oh. for me. Although if you, ask, if you ask my brothers, I would say I was never spoiled, but my, my brothers might have a different um, answer. <laughs> but, that, but that's a great biblical example, though. Mom and dad are on the same page. Mom yeah. and dad are on the same page with ministry, with their business, with the way they raise their children. What a gift they gave you in spite of the fact, as you mentioned, that mom did pursue academics, which made her a bit of a rule breaker, you know, in terms of you know women in the 1940s. And right. dad was just a hard worker, sweat of his brow. I got through high school, but it, obviously it didn't seem to deter him uh, from the success that he's achieved and of course the family has benefited from with the the food and the restaurants at Chick-fil-A. This book, A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy, we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Kind of give us just a general overview. I mean, we could go through story after story, but I'm sure there are a couple that kind of jump out. How did you decide what was going in the book, Trudy Kathy White, and how did you decide what would be in the second book if there's going to be one? 
Yeah, well, I knew I had a lot of stories about my mom to be able to share, but I also realized that there were other people that had connections with her that probably had some stories that I might not have even heard. And we got a chance to interview uh, quite a few people, one of which was Eddie White. He worked in the kitchen of my dad's restaurant from the time he was a young teenager. And he tells the story about when my mom was a waitress in the restaurant, about her washing dishes in the kitchen with him and their conversations together. So I put that in the book and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful insight. One of the things that my mother uh, had a tradition of doing when we were growing up was she would stand at the back door while we would walk out the house and she would say, remember who you are and whose you are. Mm -hmm. And the thing that she wanted to emphasize to us was, you know, of course, our identity. She wanted us to realize that it's not about what we're able to accomplish. It's not about who we're related to, but our identity is found in who God says we are. And so throughout the book, I'm able to kind of help people understand and realize that through a lot of stories of my mom's life, uh, we learned what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and how much God loves us. And that was so thrilling to me me to be able to share my mom's stories in in that vein and in that light. Was there ever any pressure on you, Trudy Kathy White, to follow the footsteps to go into the family business i know you did you mentioned you know working there at some point was was there any pressure or was that something you went into willingly and said hey this is i don't care if it's my mom and dad this is a great opportunity you know that's such an intriguing question because my my parents always said they they only wanted us to follow the lord whatever god wanted us to do in terms of a career that's what they wanted you know for us but in the heart of hearts my dad would say he always wanted family involved in the in the business and we sure. all feel, feel like we are very much involved my brothers have uh, gone the route of being very hands on in the management uh, side of the business i have served in the role as an ambassador or representative uh, of the company my husband and i served in as missionaries in Brazil. So we were overseas for a while and uh, through all of our families, members, even as we are raising now uh, our own grandchildren, uh, we are helping them to understand their responsibility and their role in this family business is to make sure that they know how to make good decisions and that they represent our Lord and our company and our family and in the kind of life that we would want to uh, be represented. So I think we all have uh, an opportunity to, to really serve in a role. And we're so grateful for customers who are faithful uh, to Chick-fil-A and eating with us. Uh, Senator Tim Scott was a guest on this program not too long ago. He had a book out about, uh, you know, just his life and, and his legacy. And he mentioned very fondly that one of the turning points for him when he was going through high school was uh, the fact that he had the opportunity to work at a Chick-fil-A and it really just kind of uh, kind of turned him around. Are there any other, I'm going to give you a chance here to drop names. You're not bragging because they really did work for you, but who are some of the more famous, noteworthy people that you've encountered, Trudy Kathy White, who have either worked for or maybe been investors in, franchise or whatever, in the Chick-fil-A family? Well, you know, I have recently heard Senator Scott's uh, story, and John Moniz was his operator who my dad hired years and years ago. And John and Janice Moniz were incredible uh, people that we so much admired through the years. But, uh, you know, we, we meet a lot of people on our journey, but it, it is exciting to see the connection and that people enjoy eating Chick-fil-A. But more importantly, we like to remind people that we're We're not really in the chicken business. We're more in the people business. We Mm. simply use the sandwich as a tool to make connections uh, with other people. And so our purpose for being in business is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. So whoever we meet along the way, if we have an opportunity to impact them and influence them in a positive way, uh, we feel like we're fulfilling the very thing that God has asked us to do. 
Trudy Kathy White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Her book is called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's a wonderful homage to her mom, uh, who really, in many ways, was as important, uh, maybe even more important than the Truett Kathy legacy, because having that partnership, having that teamwork there, keeping everything together at home while he was off you know, building the empire, um, they were really working on this together, and it's such a, a wonderful legacy. Over the past decade, the Chick-fil-A name brand has expanded. It's exploded. I know for us in the West Coast, we finally got to see. I've been hearing about Chick-fil-A for such a long time, like in the 80s and 90s. All my friends in Christian music radio, they're like, oh, yeah, Chick-fil-A this. And they're sponsoring that. And I'm like, we don't have any of this out here. I'm so glad that the restaurants have been able to expand. They've expanded with a lot of support, but also with a certain measure of controversy. When when the controversy does come up, Trudy Kathy White, because, I mean, it, it, it seems to rear its ugly head every now and again. How does the how does the family respond? I mean, we know how the corporation has responded, but how, how does that strike you, your husband, your brothers? How do you guys deal with those times? As a family, we deal with it the same way uh, we watched our mom and dad deal with it when we were growing up. When my dad would come home from work, oftentimes he'd be really tired and he would have had a really hard day. And he was not, um, he didn't hold back oftentimes his feelings. In fact, usually at the dinner tables when he would share his disappointments, maybe a, maybe a team member or uh, someone has taken money from his restaurant that is disappointing from him, somebody that hadn't been responsible, whatever it was, he would share it with us. And one of the first things my mom would say, let's pray, let's pray about this. And so as a family, one of the first things that happens to us anytime we kind of feel like we're under the gun about anything, we just take it to the Lord. And recently I saw a quote from Tim Keller that says, depending on God in trouble is a spiritual skill that can only be learned when you're in trouble. And so, you know, so when pressure comes and, and life is difficult and there are disappointments or discouragements, uh, we've learned to just take those to the Lord and, and to really trust Him. He says, I will be with you. You can never fear um, uh, whatever comes about. He says that He will protect us. And so we're we're trusting in the Lord that we're going to make mistakes. We're not going to be able to please everybody. But uh, our desire and our real heartfelt intention is to honor the Lord. I love that. That's a great testimony from Trudy Kathy White today here on The Bottom Line. Her, uh, um, her homage to her mother, Jeanette uh, Kathy, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's a book called A Quiet Strength. Uh, Trudy, we've got a couple minutes left in our conversation. And now in addition to uh, being an entrepreneur, being a philanthropist, missionary, all the things that you and your co- husband have accomplished, you're an author and you're also a podcaster as well. Talk about uh, along, the, along the Way. Is that the name of the podcast? That's the name of the podcast, Along the Way with Trudy Kathy White. I, um, you know, I much prefer speaking to people live. I don't enjoy that much speaking into a microphone. Mm-hmm. But one of the passions that I have is an opportunity to be intentional with connections and to be able to share my own life stories and hopefully to use those stories to be able to encourage other people in their walk along the way of, of life. And so I launched the podcast really to be an encouragement to others and, and to inspire, inspire people. I love to share stories. And so each of the podcasts are just true life stories of things that God is teaching me along the way. I hope it's a real inspiration to those who get a chance to listen to it. 
Well, we'll put a link up at thebottomlineshow.com because I know that people really resonate with stories. Obviously, Jesus told parables. I mean, it's a very, very effective means of doing that kind of communication of the gospel. But especially now, I think with the year that we've had, as people are starting to dig out and get back out and go to Chick-fil-A for dinner and that type of thing, <laughs> more and more people are, are, are looking for that. Hey, how are everyone's been impacted by this, either a little or a lot. So um, how, how has it impacted you and how is God working in your life? So the Along the Way podcast with Trudy Kathy White. We've got a link for that up at thebottomlineshow.com. The book is called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy. My guest for the past 20 minutes or so has been Trudy Kathy White, the author of that book. Trudy, how can we pray for you and your family uh, as the year is beginning to unfold now and God's doing some really wonderful, amazing things through you and your family? Well, I appreciate that question. I, I think the biggest thing that we, any one of us in our family would ask is that we are able to faithfully steward what God has entrusted to us, that we're able to manage well the things that He has given us. We we recognize the fact that this business is not ours. It belongs to the Lord. Every restaurant that we open, we dedicate it to the Lord. Uh, our objective with our team members is to teach them great life skills. And for all of us, when we're living life, just to be able to steward the wonderful things that God has given us. And we recognize we've been blessed to be a blessing. So our desire is to continue strong with that. I think it's a wonderful testimony and a fitting footnote for our conversation here today. Trudy Kathy White, the author of the book, A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy, the wife of Truett Kathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A Restaurants. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we'll also put a link up for the podcast along the way with Trudy Kathy White. Trudy, a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for the book and for being with us here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much, Roger. Appreciate it. What a great conversation with Trudy Kathy White today here on The Bottom Line Show. The book is called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Kathy. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of the book that we're giving away right now. Give Teresa a call at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. So much has been written about Truett Kathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. But let's not forget that his wife, Jeanette, stood by his side for many, 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 many years. And while Truett Cathy was building Chick-fil-A, Jeanette Cathy was nurturing a family together with their faith, and they built an empire based on biblical principles. Chick-fil-A becoming that national phenomenon over the past 50 years, especially over the past decade, still consistently ranked as one of, if not the, most favorite restaurant, fast food-wise, in America year after year after year. If you want to learn some of the behind-the-scenes stuff about how Chick-fil-A came to be, then you'll want a copy of Trudy Cathy White's book called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Cathy. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Here at Kbright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home, it was like two days before Christmas, and I was sitting at the bottom of a hill, and somebody just came smashing into me. Like, they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. I had a lot going on in my life at the, at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. She was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready, like, to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. 
And once in a while, I'd tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. My thanks again to Trudy Cathy White, the daughter of Jeanette M. Cathy, and of course, Jeanette's husband is Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. Trudy wrote a really lovely tribute to her mother called A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Cathy, uh, 800-227-5278. We're giving away a copy today here on Good News Friday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Hey, I wanted to take the final moments here. This is the uh, last half-hour segment where we're all together for the week live. Then, of course, our KCBC crowd is moving on to Discovering the Jewish Jesus with Rabbi Schneider after this. And we'll get back to some good news stories for the last half hour here on the network for those who remain. But I wanted to take this moment since uh, Trudy Kathy White paid such a lovely tribute to her mother, Jeanette M. Kathy, and her father, Truett Kathy, and the work that they did founding Chick-fil-A. I would be remiss if I did not point out the fact that today is the day that my mother and father uh, got married. As a matter of fact, it was Friday, August the 5th, 1955, that uh, Warren Charles Marsh took Catherine Millie Benilius to be his lawfully wedded wife at the First Presbyterian Church of Whittier, California. Everybody else used to get married on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. Mom and Dad got married on a Friday night. It was cooler. It was a bit less expensive. Remember, the whole world wasn't uh, wallowing in air conditioning (laughs) back in the day. But uh, today they mark 67 years of holy matrimony. And I know that uh, my, my sister and my brother and I are so blessed by the example that they set of loving God, loving others, and loving each other. And at a time when so many parents spent a lot of time trying to, you know, throw everything they had into their kids, mom and dad took a slightly different approach. They both were only children. They both came from homes that had a, a, you know, a high functionality, but, you know, the, the usual dysfunction of, you know, what they were growing up in. And they made their marriage a priority. And I know the fact they both turned 89 years old a couple of months ago. They still have that same twinkle in the eye when they look at each other. And I'm just so blessed. I mean, I'm blessed for obvious reasons. First and foremost, if they didn't get married, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. But mom and dad, I just want you to know how much I love you. It was great spending time with you earlier today, along with Lisa and Kaylee and me. We had a chance to go over and enjoy a bit of lunch, you know, before the program. And just so blessed to be able to see the quiet strength that my mom had in working for 67 years to keep her marriage thriving in the same way that Jeanette M. Cathy did. And as Truett and Jeanette Cathy enjoyed a long marriage, uh, my parents have too. So happy anniversary, mom and dad, uh, with love from your your oldest son and uh, the one who talks the most. (laughs) I really love you a lot. For those who remain on the network, we've got more Good News Friday stories still to come as the bottom line continues in just a moment. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we've reached the point in the month of The Bottom Line Show calendar where we typically have a conversation with Dr. Jim Dennison, the founder of Dennison Forum. Dennisonforum.org is where you find Dr. Jim Dennison. Dr. Jim Dennison, though, has an outstanding team of researchers and pastors who all work at the Dennison Forum. And Jim's flat on his back after having surgery, too. So I've been joined for this segment today by Dr. Mark Terman, who uh, joined the Dennison Forum late last year uh, from pulpit ministry in McKinney, Texas, for nearly 20 years, uh, recently completed his doctorate of ministry in Truett Seminary and is uh, taking on uh, this advisory role as the co-host of the Denison Forum podcast with Dr. Jim Denison. So Dr. Mark Terman, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Hey, great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to get to be a part. 
the Denison Forum has to be, hands down, in my estimation, the most prolific multimedia Christian apologetics cultural commentary ministry I've ever seen. You, I, Every time I go to denisonforum.org, of course, I get the daily updates, and I also get First 15 from, uh, from Jim's son. But I, I'm just blown away with the amount of content that the Denison Forum actually puts out. Mark, talk about what that was like for you to kind of think that you're going to go fly fishing and all of a sudden you get into this roaring river that's got this current of all these different current events that you're commenting on. Well, that's, that's a pretty good analogy of what it's been like. And that I was impressed by the same thing from uh, Dr. Jim and from the team for many, many years. I was one of the early, early followers of the Denison Forum, and I've known Jim for 35 years and have mm. kept up with him while he was pastoring, but then when he started this ministry, and then uh, it just was so helpful to me. I made uh, his daily article required reading for my staff at the church that I led and mm -hmm. shared it and quoted from it often in my sermons, and uh, then, then just came to discover over time that they had built an incredible team of people who write on a wide array of cultural issues and bring biblical truth into those topics. And I'm just thrilled to get to be a part of the team now. And I'm, I'm swimming really hard to try to catch up to what they're doing. <laughs> Well, I, 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 the analogy just kind of came from, from I think, from spirit-led uh, dealings with Dr. Dennison of the Dennison Forum. But Dr. Mark Turman, the co-host of the Dennison Forum podcast, is with me today here on The Bottom Line. And we're going to talk about one of those cultural events that is happening in the society right now that I really think has become, Mark, a, a, a dividing line between, say, the baby boomer generation and even my generation. I'm kind of on the on the cusp of I've got one foot in the baby boom world and one foot in Generation X. But then having right. kids who are in the millennial and Generation Z, we do see, you know, it, it's it's amazing to me to see the number of people who identify in the younger generations as something other than what we believe God designed and and proclaimed in scripture. You know, God created male and female, marriage is between a man and a woman, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. That's all biblical truth. And yet there are so many people in the younger generations, even in the church, that would look at that and say, well, that's a little old fashioned and you got to keep up with the world the way it actually is. Um, you've written extensively, as a matter of fact, on doctoral uh, graduate research on what you call the beauty of holy sexuality. Help us understand, first and foremost, what is still true <laughs> that hasn't changed, that we didn't get wrong, but then why so many younger people are attracted to this, quote unquote, new truth, I guess I'd call it. Well, and, and I think you're absolutely right about the incredible levels of confusion we have around sexuality in our culture, and there's a lot of reasons for it. We, of course, know that the, the devil is behind this because he attacks everything that God creates and everything that God intends for good. He's the one that sows all kinds of deception and, and distraction to help people pursue other things rather than the goodness that God has for us. So we know that that's the source of it, uh, but it has become a big dividing line because uh, we've allowed the devil's work to get strongly into our culture and our identity. This word identity seems to be tossed around everywhere these days. Mm -hmm. And we have decided to take so many of our cues from other sources rather than from God and rather than from his word. And so we've decided to kind of self-create our own identity or to let other voices speak into it out of a primarily kind of a therapeutic, deistic culture where we're mm -hmm. like, well, maybe God's out there, but 
He left us to invent our own identity on our own, and that includes our sexual identity. And and instead of letting him speak to us through his word and and through the integrity of the church, we've, we're kind of manufacturing it on our own. But this is not new, Roger. We've, we've seen generations doing this uh, ever since biblical times. And part of my research, uh, I discovered afresh and anew just how confused and broken the New Testament world was in a sexual way. Uh, you yeah. couldn't have found a more uh, confused and depraved sexual environment than the city of Corinth. It was right. as bad, uh, it, way beyond anything we've ever seen in our culture. So it's not new, and it's something that the Bible still speaks to with profound truth and beauty. I'm talking with Dr. Mark Terman today here on The Bottom Line. He's the co-host of the Denison Forum podcast, along with Dr. Jim Denison, who's a regular contributor to The Bottom Line Show. We've got a link for Denison Forum and that podcast up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we're talking with Dr. Terman about the beauty of holy sexuality. I'm so glad you brought up the first Corinthians, or the Corinthians period, but I think especially of 1 Corinthians, which is so well known, ironically, as the quote-unquote love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 is in there. I mean, there's so many other great rich parts of, of the, the Corinthian letters uh, from Paul to the church at Corinth, understanding that that church was planted and was growing up in and around a culture that was so secular. And it seems like a perfect uh, illustration for us in the church, rather than going back to what we have been taught, almost kind of puritanical values. We have our own version of moralistic, uh, what's a moralistic therapeutic deism or whatever George Barna calls it, uh, that you alluded to. And the fact that I think at the core of all that, people just want to feel good about what they're doing. And so therefore, if they can find other people who will affirm them in what they're doing, then they don't seem to feel a need to live up to any kind of standard or anything of that sort. And I think the thing that's really toughest for me, Dr. Terman, to face in that situation is I'm a baby boom Gen X parent. I have kids in the millennial Gen Z uh, uh, generation. And I realized that it seems like it was our, what happened in the baby boom? <laughs> what happened to Gen X that led people in the church to give other younger people in the church the idea that this kind of thing was okay? Well, I think a lot has contributed to it, but you know, we've in our day been living this, you know, most of my life. I was born in the early 60s, but uh, you know, coming into my teen years and into my young adult years, you know, I started to experience what had already been growing. You know, 1950s brought us Hugh Hefner, and 1960 brought us the reality of birth control, and and then the sex, quote unquote sexual revolution of the 60s. Well, we started following that track for a while, and now it's come to bear fruit in the form of all kinds of confusion and all kinds of of self uh, self discovery, especially around sexuality. And what we're seeing now is in some indications that the sexual revolution of the 50s and 60s is actually burning itself out mm. uh, on its own empty merits, that it doesn't work to just have this idea that if I have a desire, I can chase it out and fulfill it any which way that I want. Mm -hmm. uh, we're finding that more and more people are discovering that that just doesn't work. It's not satisfying, and it doesn't lead to healthy relationships. In fact, it leads to more isolation. It leads to more loneliness. It right. leads to more uh, kinds of problems on several levels. And so right now there's an, a tremendous opportunity for us as the church to step in to say God has a better way. He has a sacred way and a beautiful way of handling 
romantic relationships and intimacy between human beings. He also says that you can have a full and rich and meaningful life without ever being sexual. And that's not Mm -hmm. something that hardly anybody in our culture, including the church, is talking about in a in a meaningful and beautiful way, even though First Corinthians, you know, chapter six and chapter seven talk a lot about that you can have a a rich and full life. How could how could Jesus have that and never be married and have children? It's great if you are called into that, but you can still have an absolutely abundant and phenomenal life, even if God doesn't call you into that kind of relationship and that kind of life. Well, that is great counsel from Dr. Mark Turman today here on The Bottom Line, T-U-R-M-A-N, if you're Googling along with us at home. He is the co-host of the Denison Forum podcast, works alongside Dr. Jim Denison at Denison Forum. Jim, of course, a regular contributor to The Bottom Line show, and Dr. Turman, his co-host on this podcast. I highly recommend you subscribe to Denison Forum's daily updates, also First 15 from his son, Craig, and also the uh, listen to the Denison Forum podcast for more insightful commentary like what you hear, uh, or like what you're hearing right now from Dr. Mark Turman. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We're talking about the beauty of holy sexuality in a world that has really just completely lost its moorings when it comes to the need, the desire, and what actually practically, you know, the way God intended uh, sexual expression to be was designed so that anyone who engaged in it, even those who did not have faith in him, would enjoy something that's mutually beneficial. As things are kind of going off the rails in the culture, it seems like the church is in a prime position to actually step into this conversation, but why is it that the church is having such a hard time doing so? We'll talk about that with Dr. Mark Turman of the Denison Forum in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Dr. Mark Turman with the Denison Forum is my guest today here on the bottom line. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Turman, along with Dr. Jim Denison, hosts the Denison Forum podcast. And uh, how how long have you been hosting it now, Dr. Mark Turman? And uh, how often are you guys, are you putting out podcasts the way Jim Denison writes articles? Well, no, not quite at that pace. <laughs> that would be hard to do. But yeah. uh, we, uh, we started the podcast back in January, first of the year, and uh, we've been dropping episodes pretty much weekly, uh, sometimes a little more than that if uh, there's something going on that we feel like we need to speak to, but drops usually on Monday, and uh, you can find it at the Denison Forum podcast at all of the pod- podcast providers. Yes, okay, Well, that, and we'll have a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've been talking about the beauty of holy sexuality. You said something earlier, Dr. Truman, I wanted to kind of uh, pivot off of as we move into the second part of our conversation, and that is the fact that this would be a shock to the culture who seems to believe that sex and sexuality is every bit of your identity. We've got a lot of people losing their minds with in the leftist and progressive world now that on the federal level, abortion has been made illegal, though there will be a ways around it. As Jim and I have talked about this on the program about how the heartbeat bill in Texas did eliminate some surgical abortions, but it led to more women taking the so-called medical or taking the pill for abortions. And there's all sorts of ways around the way we like to sin. But when you said in the first segment that people have to understand that sexuality is a gift from God and that you can live an entire lifetime without ever engaging in sexual activity. And I thought, you know, I know people who that's their story. They were single. They were godly. They 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 lived their lives. Even, you know, some rather funny stories, which I won't get into here on the air, but uh, uh, some women I've worked with who said, yeah, you know, medical issues that you get into later in life are a lot different when you haven't been intimate. But it's so interesting that a lot of people now you know, are, are still there. It's almost like they worship 
their sexuality or their sexual expression. And my thought is, okay, so I, I kind of posed this earlier. What happened in the church where we have more and more kids who've gone through organized church? They've had better youth groups, better Bible studies. We have better couples, classes and marriage things and things like that. And yet it seems like the church's influence on younger America, anyway, millennials, Generation Z, has waned dramatically. Uh, talk about why it seems like an institution like the church that has so many resources and so much, uh, you know, so available to actually spread the the good news of biblical sexuality has been so ineffective in this area. Well, I think there's several reasons, but the the first one, Roger, that stands out to me is 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 just the number of sexual abuse scandals that we have had across the church and that have been so widely publicized and made known. And uh, that kind of hypocrisy reveals that many of our leaders, too many of our leaders, have been guilty of uh, idolizing their own sexuality. They haven't, they haven't lived what they've preached, if they've preached it at all. And because of the way technology and media works in our culture today, uh, those uh, failings and those problems have become widely known. And so we have a integrity problem, honestly, that uh, in many ways, too many of our leaders have gone off the rails with their own sexuality, and they have revealed to the culture that they think sexuality is the whole of their identity as well. Mm. And so there's so many of those stories. It seems like they come out all of the time. Uh, whether it's Ravi Zacharias or others that we could name, that we have to recapture our integrity around this issue and show people that the majority of church leaders, the majority of pastors actually don't make these kind of bad decisions. But right. uh, I think the younger generation hears it so often. They are the, as, as someone said to me yesterday, they are screenagers, not just teenagers. They live Ooh. their lives in a screen. Mm-hmm. And, and, wow. Uh, and they're and their screen brings them everything, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And and we are people just by fallen nature who are uh, given to focus on the negative more than the positive, and the news media that we're a part of still does that. And so, uh, you know, if there's a church leader, a church pastor who's living his life with sexual integrity, nobody reports on that, right? Right. right. They only. Mm-hmm. They only report on the ones that have fallen and that, that are broken, and all of us are capable of that. All of us are vulnerable to that, but the vast majority of them don't go uh, into those kinds of decisions, but they don't ever – you don't hear about those. Right, uh, right. And so I think the younger generation is just – their view is skewed because they hear so much negative reporting, and they don't know, and they don't – have the opportunity to know sometimes those that are living with integrity. So that's a, a place where we could start for sure. Well, and let's, how do we do that, Dr. Mark Sherman of the Denison Forum? I mean, we've talked about the beauty of holy sexuality, what is right and true and good. The fact that there are so many younger people, and I'm borrowing that screenager's uh, phrase, and I will use it with a quote attached to you every single time. That's so, that's so brilliant. And so, and it, it's, 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 terrifying at the same time to think that that's how an entire generation i we have a, an 11 year old granddaughter and a five-year-old grandson and that's their world you know even the 18 month old has got lots of screen time every day and it's just it's amazing to see what those kids are engaging 
how do we, I mean, first and foremost, let's face it, I read a statistic the other day that 90% of pastors are thinking about leaving the ministry just because they're so discouraged. They don't know what to do. And we as parents, grandparents, and parishioners have put way too much pressure, I believe, on uh, those in pulpit ministry. How do we encourage our pastors? How do we start the dialogue just where we are? I mean, I, I, it's a tall order, Dr. Mark Sherman, but please give us your best effort. Yes, it is a tall order, but I think being an encouragement to your pastor, just uh, trying to befriend him and to encourage him in every way. You're right. There's way too much uh, expectation put on them. But if we encourage them, especially encourage them in their prayer life and that they would preach and teach the Bible uh, with clarity and with conviction as it is, the Bible speaks to these issues. And then uh, encourage the pastor and offer to be a help in terms of let's develop ministry around sexuality. The church has sometimes been too hesitant to talk about this or to get deeply involved, but this is a territory where we need to engage, and any church leader can be a liaison and a facilitator helping his pastor, hey, let's talk about how you can preach on this in an, in an appropriate way, but then let's also talk about how we can find the best resources to put into parents' hands so that they can have conversations with their children at an age-appropriate level all along their developmental cycle. You know, how could you every year or two as your child comes up on their birthday, let that be uh, a calendar reminder, hey, we need to have a conversation about where they are in their sexual development, their sexual understanding right now. One of the things I found in my research, Roger, was there are a lot of great resources that parents can use in their home. But I also found that among, you know, the adults in my church, almost none of us had been given intentional biblical instruction from our homes and from our church as we progressed through our childhood and into our young adult years. Mm -hmm. Most of us just picked up what we knew about sexuality from the street, and the church is a teaching institution. It can teach well on multiple levels, and it can also equip parents to teach in the home, which is the best discipleship there is. Yes, it, it, getting the right equipment, equipping to have that conversation and not falling victim to where the culture now starts, I guess the uh, tail starts wagging the dog, if you will, in terms of what a lot of churches, a lot of parents have tried to do, and maybe even a lot of pastors as well, to think in terms of, well, how do I take the culture and what's culturally, quote unquote, relevant, and use that to our advantage of the church without realizing, look, God has given us the tools, and it's our job to use them properly and to do so. Uh, Dr. Mark Terman, you recently stepped out of the pulpit after 20 plus years at the Great Church of McKinney, Texas, and have moved into this Denison Forum uh, now. Talk about why it's important for pastors. You mentioned this at the, the outset, and I want to circle back at the, here at the end. You mentioned uh, that when you were in the pulpit ministry, uh, Denison Forum was required reading, that you incorporated these principles into your into your messages. And I hear from a lot of pastors who say, look, I don't want to get political. I don't want to make political, uh, you know, cultural commentary. I just want to preach the word and teach the word, and that's what we're going to do. Take the last 60 seconds of our time together and give us a good biblical exhortation as to why pastors really— I believe, need to move into a both-and as opposed to an either-or with what we're talking about. Well, thank you for that, Roger. We we want everyone, every believer, to learn and to experience what it's like to be salt and light in the culture. And we take a lot of inspiration from 
that story of some of the tribes in the Old Testament, the men of Issachar, it says they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. We want to try to help the church to be just like that, to understand the times that we're living in and to listen to God, to listen to his word and to understand what we can do to guide believers and to help the church to be that salt and light, that uh, that expression of hope that God has a better way, God has the right way for all of us, and we're not mad at anybody, we don't want to hurt anybody, we don't want to, you know, put anybody in jail uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't need to be in jail. We certainly don't want to ostracize people because of their sexual confusion, but we do want to bring light and hope. We want to bring the loving truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ to them in every way we can for all of the issues that they're confronting in their lives and in their families. That's what the Denison Forum is all about. Well, and, we, and you do such a wonderful job, Dr. Mark Terman, of equipping us, you know, in a very non-judgmental but highly biblical way of doing so. Highly recommend our listeners, if you haven't signed up already, do sign up at denisonforum.org, and that's D-E-N-I-S-O-N forum.org for the daily updates and learn more about the resources. You can also tune into the Denison Forum podcast, which is co-hosted by Dr. Jim Denison and my guest today here on the Bottom Line Show, Dr. Mark Terman. Mark, it's great to get to know you. I'm looking forward to more conversations with you here in this forum as well. But thanks so much for being with us today here on the Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. It's a privilege. Well, a great conversation there with Dr. Mark Terman, the executive director of the Denison Forum. Denisonforum.org is where you can get more information about the said Denison Forum. And I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to uh, talk with Dr. Terman, especially as Dr. Jim Denison is in recovery mode uh, from pretty major surgery. And uh, I encourage you to keep uh, Dr. Jim Denison in your prayers. We're hoping to have him back on the broadcast soon and very soon, but we do realize that uh, uh, there will be opportunity for him to just rest up a little bit. He had a couple of discs in his spine fused, and I I think that uh, it'll be very, very uh, uh, helpful for him uh, to move around again once he gets full mobility back. But uh, uh, please keep Dr. Dennison in your prayers. And uh, thanks again to Dr. Mark Terman, who will become a regular contributor here on The Bottom Line Show. So final thoughts in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. We just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you can earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Dr. Mark Terman, the executive director of the Denison Forum. Denisonforum.org is where you'll find uh, what Mark's doing as far as the podcast, last week's podcast uh, featuring Pastor Chris Brooks of uh, Moody Church and our Moody uh, 
Broadcasting and uh, Church in Michigan. Uh, great dialogue. Uh, and Dr. Dennison is part of that too. You get a chance to hear him. Um, I, I think the thing that I appreciate so much about the Dennison Forum is that Dr. Jim Dennison and I kind of hit it off right away the first couple times we did uh, any work together. And the focus is on what is and what's the kingdom. I love how astute Jim is when it comes to the fact that he knows he's traveled internationally, he pays attention to current events. He was in pulpit ministry for so many years and then felt led in the later season of life where a guy like Jim Dennison could have just rode the wave out of pulpit ministry, retired as a country pastor somewhere, and, and that was it. God led him to start the Denison Forum, to have these dialogues, to help us in the body of Christ have a greater understanding of the world around us and how we can know as much as we need to know so that we can you know, become that church that can go into all the world, whether it's different cultures, different languages, but also go into the world of people who think differently than we do politically or economically, uh, relationally. Uh, the, the, let's face it, the name of the game is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God came to us in, as, as Jesus Christ the perfect reflection, begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of the Father, and brought the good news of the gospel. We have the same mandate, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but we're to do so in these different worlds, in these different areas where we are to go to them and not wait for them to come to us. And the better equipped we are to speak their language and engage on that level, the more successful and I believe the more fruitful the ministry that we have to others outside the faith will be. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line.